Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the PALCAST, the podcast from the White Coat Underground. My name is Peter Lipson, and I am an internist in the Great Lakes State. I have a blog called White Coat Underground, which is on the Science Blogs Network at scienceblogs.com slash whitecoatunderground, and I also write twice a month for sciencebasedmedicine.com. And as a simple reminder, I do not give medical advice. Nothing medical I talk about here is directed at you or your personal medical problems. Due to the usual chaos of life, the PALCAST has been put off for a couple of weeks. And I'm happy to be back because I have a couple of topics I'd like to talk about today. Now, the byline of my blog is Musings on the Intersection of Science, Medicine, and Culture, although usually I talk about medicine. Lately, however, uh, an interesting uh, intersection issue has come up. I added a new category to my blog on fatherhood. This was apparently a controversial decision. I had one reader comment that they enjoy my science writing, but would rather I didn't blog about something as irrelevant as being a parent. He did agree that the pictures of my daughter are adorable, but that this was not the place for it. Now, let's set aside the fact that what this one guy thinks is completely irrelevant. Uh, I'm the writer. I get to write what I want. He's the reader. He can read or not read. But there's a larger issue in here, which is interesting to me, and that is that there's this belief that somehow our careers in science and medicine are somehow separate from our family life. Now, I think most parents could tell you that they already know that that's not true. But uh, let's, let's look at some of the ways in which it's not true. Now, my perspective is from medicine rather than from science, but I'm sure some of these issues apply. It's often assumed that the mother is the default primary caregiver for a child, and this is also often the case so that those of us who have jobs in the sciences and are male can march off to work and not worry about what's happening with our kid. And while this may often be the case, for example, in my family, uh, I am the primary uh, wage earner, and my wife is the primary child care giver, I do not divorce myself from my role as a parent, because even if I wished to, I would find it impossible to do so. When I'm at work, I will be thinking about my child. And conversely, when I am hanging out with my family, work often intrudes. The pager goes off, the phone rings, and I have to put on my doctor's coat and uh, think like a doctor, despite the fact that I might rather at that point in time be uh, playing outside with family. If I'm at work and my child is homesick and my wife has to take her to the doctor, I'd really like to be able to drop what I'm doing and uh, go to the doctor with them. This is unfortunately impossible. Now, I'm sure there are careers out there where you can draw a, eh, I guess, a more discreet line between work life and family life, but medicine isn't one of those jobs. I am on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And for work, I'm also on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, you're not going to read a paper on medicine or physiology that talks about how to deal with combining family life and the practice of science or medicine. However, you will find a number of blogs that do just that. 
and it's a very important topic. I, I would venture to say that there are people out there who may be discouraged from pursuing a career in science or medicine because they're afraid of how it will interfere with their ability to raise a family, and vice versa. There are people who might choose not to pursue raising a family because they're afraid of how it might interfere with their career. Well, there's always a way to do this, but it's almost never easy. And talking about it with other people who have gone through it is really one of the best ways to try to plan things out. Now, you know, there's some interesting complicating factors here when people are practicing medicine or they have a PhD in one of the scientific or engineering fields, and that is the training leading up to the plateau of your career is very long. This can have one or one of two effects on raising a family. One of them is that uh, you may be trying to figure out a way to have children during this extended training period, and the other is that you may end up being an older parent, which is what I've done. Either way, careers in science and medicine often lead to an atypical family life. I think that this makes it a very legitimate topic of discussion. And uh, to anybody who thinks that it's not, well, you can go read someone else's work. Moving on. There's a, an interesting topic that's been nudging me lately. Uh, this started uh, a couple of weeks ago. We have a, a new writer over at sciencebasedmedicine.com. He's a, a medical student out east. His name is Tim Kreider. Terrific writer. Anyway, he went to a lecture at his medical school sponsored by a student group that's interested in so-called alternative medicine. And at this uh, meeting, there was a speaker who was a naturopathic physician. Tim found his talk to be, well, unconvincing in a number of ways and wrote a rather critical piece on our blog about it. The piece, aside from being a brilliant critique and a nice piece of writing, got Tim in a little bit of a pickle. You see, these students were not real happy with him for having written something so critical. In fact, they actually threatened him. You can read about the story at Science-Based Medicine, but uh, basically they threatened to go to his dean if he didn't change the tone of his article. Uh, the whole thing was rather surreal. But this is something you see often among advocates of so-called alternative medicine. Because they don't have a legitimate scientific background to the things that they advocate for, they often resort to attacking free speech or attacking the reputations of the people who are making the criticism. And in fact, they often use these so-called logical or rhetorical fallacies that we talk about so often because they have no actual facts to stand on. Now, if you want to know about the resolution of Tim's little imbroglio, feel free to go over and read his piece. It can be very frustrating as a skeptic to to deal with uh, these types of things, these alternative medicine programs that crop up at universities and medical centers. You know, if there's a department or a physician that's using non-standard but conventional practices, these things get discussed all the time, whether it's in the cafeteria or at quality meetings or at morbidity and mortality meetings. It's expected uh, however, if you raise concerns about something, quote, alternative, usually you get one of two responses. You either get the, quote, shruggy response of, eh, what could it hurt? Or you get the 
how dare you criticize this? And, uh, you know, people threaten to sue. They, you, know, you get threats rather than actual engagement, which I suspect is because there really aren't any facts or any legitimate evidence to fall back on. But I've digressed a bit further than I intended to. What I want to do is tell you a little bit about what my job actually is. And there's a reason for this, so stick with me. I'm a specialist in internal medicine, which is the study and treatment and prevention of adult diseases. I see every day and manage some of the most common problems, uh, such as diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, coronary heart disease, and deal with the daily complaints that people have, such as the flu, back pain, stomach pain, rashes. I'm basically the go-to doctor for most people. And if there's an issue that's beyond my expertise, I refer to one of my colleagues in the appropriate specialty. For instance, I don't perform surgeries. If I diagnose somebody with gallbladder problems and I think they need to have their gallbladder out, I call a surgeon. Uh, Another example, I certainly screen people for cancers and I help them choose behaviors that are less likely to promote cancers, such as quitting smoking. But once I find a cancer, I have to refer somebody to a specialist to treat that cancer. Internal medicine is a specialty that is often uh, called a primary care specialty. That is, we do what I said. We take care of people's basic medical needs. Uh, The two other primary care specialties are pediatrics, which obviously takes care of the primary care needs of children, and family medicine. And uh, specialists in family medicine take care of adult children, and they can do some gynecology and sometimes some obstetrics as well. Now, there's an interesting movement afoot to have people in other fields listed as primary care providers. This is seen in a number of places. Uh, You can often drive by a chiropractor's office and see a sign hung out that says primary care. And that obviously sounds ridiculous, but it's happening quite a bit. But in addition to just this sort of underground hang-out-a-shingle type service, there are actual legal machinations attempting to call non-physicians primary care providers. And most prominent among these are the so-called naturopathic physicians. Now, naturopathy is an interesting movement. It has its uh, origins in, I believe, 19th century Germany. And it's a little chaotic, but it's based on a few particular principles. One of those is that the body has some sort of innate healing capacity that is separate from whatever we might consider the body's ability to heal, like the immune system. It's basically a, a type of vitalism. That is, naturopaths see there as being some sort of elan vital, or vital force, in the human body that's different from measurable physiological processes. They also have a theory that so-called natural substances are more effective than pharmaceutics, or I should say than traditional pharmaceutics, And they also have an idea that they are somehow more interested in taking care of the whole patient than regular doctors. In fact, their national organization has a motto that says something like, doctors that listen. 
I have to admit, I have scoured their literature trying to figure out exactly what these people do, and it's very difficult to get a handle on. And part of the problem is they don't really define what they do in terms of how we know the body actually works. The biggest killers of North Americans are heart disease and cancer. In the naturopathic literature, it's very hard to find much about these conditions other than some basic suggestions about herbs and other things for uh, palliation of symptoms. Now, there's nothing wrong with palliation of symptoms, but uh, that's not their claim. Their claim is we treat what's really wrong, not just the symptoms. And even their claim of being able to treat symptoms is rather spurious. But anyway, if you're going to call yourself a primary care physician, you sure as hell better be able to treat the primary conditions that people come to the doctor for. If a naturopath is going to claim to be a primary care physician, I'm going to want to know how they approach diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, the most common conditions that I see every day as a primary care physician. Well, if you go to their website, you find some interesting things out. Not surprisingly, they have a lot about diet and lifestyle changes. I'm not finding anything particularly unique about that since one of the first things I tell my diabetics or hypertensives is they've got to change the way they eat and they've got to change the way they move. This is, you know, not only common sense, but basic medicine. However, the effect of diet and exercise is not as large as the effect of some other things. For instance, we have very good scientific data on what blood pressure goals we need to set for various types of people. In order to prevent heart attacks and strokes in somebody who has either coronary artery disease established already or who has diabetes, you need to set a pretty low blood pressure goal, one that's usually not attainable through diet and exercise alone. In addition, you need to set in these people a pretty low cholesterol goal which is also not usually attainable without the help of medication. Now, we already know that naturopaths are not very fond of traditional, or in the sense of mainstream medicine, pharmacologic agents. So what is it exactly they're offering? Do they have some data that no one else is aware of that you can prevent microvascular and macrovascular complications in diabetics through herbal therapy? Uh, no, they don't. In fact, it's unclear what exactly these people do have to offer. The basic task of a primary care physician is to help people maintain their health and to help people once they get a disease. So, anybody who is going to call themselves a primary care physician better know the evidence for preventing and screening for diseases and how to treat them once they become established. If you can't do that, you got no business calling yourself a primary care physician. As I said, certain chiropractors are touting themselves as PCPs now, which is laughable. But naturopaths are really going about this in a very serious way. They really think they can be primary care physicians. One of their arguments is that they get all the same basic science training as physicians, and that may or may not be true, but that's only a small part of my training. I spent two years of medical school learning the basic sciences, and then I spent two years after that learning the clinical sciences, seeing thousands of patients, well, maybe hundreds, depending, and then three additional years after graduation, seeing thousands of patients. In addition to seeing 
many, many patients, uh, spent a great deal of time learning to read the medical literature and learning what standards of care actually uh, mean and how to apply these to real people. The approach that naturopaths have taken to achieving this status as primary care physicians has been twofold. They've been working through state legislatures to, by fiat, have themselves called doctors, and they've been working in a much more clever way as well. They've been going to medical schools and going to medical student associations and basically lobbying to get themselves part of the club. But I got news for them. There's a better way to become part of the club. Go to medical school. Sure, it's hard, but it's the right thing to do. It's the way that you'll actually learn to be a real primary care physician. And Lord knows we need primary care physicians. We have a shortage in this country. You don't make up for that shortage by hanging a badge on someone and calling them a primary care physician. You make up for it by sending people to school and getting them trained properly. There's a great arrogance in thinking that there must be some clever new way that the rest of the world hasn't thought of to approaching human health and disease, especially when you don't have any real good evidence to back it up. It's, a, it's really a combination of arrogance and wishful thinking, but I think it's mostly based on a benign ignorance. I think if most well-meaning people who went to naturopathic school knew what real medicine was about, they would choose to go to medical school. But we're not real big on teaching people critical thinking skills, and our level of scientific illiteracy is rather high, and so these things are going to continue to happen. But I think we'll get into more detail on that in our next cast. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.